welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Tim Devine, who is a tabletop game designer, writer, developer, and publisher. As one half of Dice Up Games, he's primarily focused on creating role-playing and family-friendly storytelling games to help introduce younger players to the hobby. Tim, welcome to The Binge. How are you doing? Oh, thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Oh, it's great to have you here. I always, uh, we were just saying just before we went on air, is anytime I can get into a genre of games that I personally haven't had a lot of experience in, I just, it gets me excited because I get to learn, right? And that's what I love about this podcast. We get to learn about other styles and, and other genres. Now, you've been doing game design for quite some time, right? So it, like, like Dice Up Games is relatively new, I believe, right? But your actual yes. design side is, has been going for a while. How long have you been doing this for? Uh, well, I mean, I've been playing role-playing games since I was a little kid um, yeah. and hacking them up and stuff since I was a little kid to make my own games. But uh, Dice Up Games is something that my partner, uh, my wife and I, uh, Kristen, um, came up with about four or five years ago, kind of a concept for, because we had game ideas that we wanted to publish so we started learning and getting, you know, all excited about that idea. And um, we, due to a lot of different reasons, we decided to like kind of slow down and 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 then maybe get back into it. And then, you know, the world changed a lot. Yeah, <laughs> just a little. Just a little. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we've just primarily been releasing little games here and there on like drive through RPG and things like that. Um, we have one larger title that we did with a publisher. Um, but uh, but yeah, so it's. About five years, dice up games, but this is our very first, like, you know, big step. So when you're younger and you're cutting these games out, like what kind of games were you kind of uh, homebrewing? Uh, well, the, uh, mostly storytelling. So mostly role-playing games. So, okay. so, you know, things like people think like Dungeons and Dragons yep. or the Star Wars role-playing games and then hacking them into whatever you want to play, um, coming up with different ideas and things like that. But um, we also had uh, like a card game idea that was a storytelling par party card game, uh, small pub games, just different things. And we kept coming up with these ideas, making the games, playing them with our friends uh, with the hope, maybe, maybe we'll publish them. And we didn't even, we didn't even know what that meant at the time. It was just like, maybe, yeah. maybe someone will play this somewhere else. But uh, yeah, it's almost like oh, some days be cool if someone else was playing this game other than us. Yeah. So. But yeah. so at the beginning, it was mainly just uh, you and your wife, I guess, playing yeah. with your friends and playing these games. And now were you literally like printing, cutting up yourself at home or using like services like print and play or game? Crafter yeah, like we did Game Crafter. Yeah. Okay. In fact, we, we had ideas, but the idea that like, more ideas came as soon as we had the means to to produce them. So, so when the game crafter, uh, when I did stumbled upon that and was like, well, I just have to learn a little bit of, you know, vector art and graphic design. And, and then all of a sudden I can produce my own stuff to play with my friends and make it look a little higher quality. So oh, yeah. uh, game crafter really unlocked a lot of potential. And then we had more ideas, of course. <laughs> oh, I'm a huge fan of game crafter and JT yeah. Smith. We've had him on the, uh, we've had him on the podcast a couple of times. Uh, I, I use it all the time like yeah. all the time. It is fantastic. Yeah. Not only for um, prototyping. And uh, so, I mean, prototyping for me, um, often I'll do uh, digital, uh, like, you know, black and white, like most people. Then as soon as I know that we've kind of got the mechanics worked out right away, you know, as you said, you know, get some, some basic artwork, which you can pull through, you know, stock photography and so forth to try to mock up the game as best I can game crafter so i can get a physical sample 
right? That I can actually put on the table when you're playing with people. I found that it makes a world of difference if you're wanting people to actually play one of your prototype games. If you can make it just look a little bit more slick than, you know, the scissors and uh, black and white printer, you'll be amazed how many more people actually want to sit down and play that, that game. Now there's professional uh, players out there who, you know, are people who are go-to um, uh, play testers, you know, black and white's fine for them. They're used to that kind of stuff, they get for, it. Yeah. but for friends and family, they don't get it. Right. And I remember I had uh, one family member, one of my recent games, one behind me, uh, uh, nice girls, the awkward forest, where I had uh, used cards that I got from my local dollar store. I cut them in half. So they'd be roughly this, the right size. And like literally wrote on different cards of this tree. And, you know, I, my one brother, who's a design partner of mine, he and I worked on it. And, and so we took it to this other family members. Hey, you know, we want you to try playing the, this game. Um, you know, it's this nutty squirrels game. And then like, ah, you know, well, you, well, let me know when you're further along. I'd love to play it then. Right. And mechanically it was done. It just didn't look sexy. Right. So right. The, the, the closer you can get to making your game look a little bit sexier, the, the more chance you're going to have people actually want to play with you. So, um, so that's super cool. And then when you guys finally said, okay, we're going to publish games, uh, you know, we, we've created these, we're playing with our friends. Now we want to take the next step. What did that look like? So was it you reaching out to various publishers or did you already know publishers or, or how did that we, work? We didn't know anything. Uh, we yeah. listened, we consumed, uh, uh, I can't even tell you how many podcasts and, and video you know, streams. We downloaded as much knowledge as we could. Um, and uh, didn't, I, I didn't even have a Twitter account at the time. So I didn't know anybody that I could connect with. I didn't really yeah. do anything with Facebook. So we didn't know. Uh, a lot of what was out there, but we thought we thought maybe maybe we could do this ourselves, and maybe we could kickstart it. So we took a couple steps towards Kickstarter. We uh, called like a consultant who walked us through a couple steps. They were super yeah. great about it at the time, and we got excited, but we also got a little nervous. Yeah, you know, and so we we like we're about. But then what ended up happening is we we reached out um, on a whim, really, to Shem Phillips at Garfield Games because we, um, we were playing at the time a role-playing game that we designed uh, that allows you to play in any setting you want. And we were playing a lot of historical fiction Vikings based on the TV series mm, at the time on History cool. Channel. So our oh, friends yeah. were playing a year and a half, two year long campaign and we were loving it. It, was, we, it developed over time, we changed a little bit here and there and we loved it, it was great. And, and one of our friends kind of urged, like said, you should get this out there. So rather than putting a game out there that we didn't have an audience, it was, we didn't have a, an IP, we didn't have a, a setting and we didn't wanna just say, this is generic Vikings because there's games out there that kind of do similar things. Uh, on a whim, we reached out to Shem and uh, through email said, you know, hey, you're, this is right when his third game was was already released and, yeah. and there's a trilogy in place. We loved the art uh, from the Miko. And um, so we we just, on a, it was a like kind of a Hail Mary, you know, like <laughs> who knows? Yeah. And he responded and he was excited and he was on on the way to some award ceremony in, or like award thing in, in, uh, in Europe. Um, so he's like, I'm going to jump on a plane, send me the document. And I sent him oh, the wow. document uh, and he read it and was like, let's do this. So we, we, our first game that was published, we put everything else on the shelf. We were like, okay, push this stuff off to the side. We will make a game and we will work with someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, has a proven experience. track record and has amazing, uh, an amazing IP that visually is, is separate from other games out there. There's no role-playing yeah. game in the Viking space that looks, that would look like that. Um, and uh, so 
yeah, we we did that. We kickstarted it with uh, uh, we co-published. So Dice mm-hmm. Up Games is first like you know first appearance on a physical yep. product um, with Garfield Games, and then Renegade Games did some distribution in the United States, oh, so wow. they were involved. Congrats! Yeah. Um, and uh, we were we were thrilled. Um, uh, it's not, not a huge game or anything. It's not you know uh, not the most popular game in the world, but it's definitely uh, like something we're very proud of and and we're excited to be a part of. Uh, the Kickstarter did really well. Uh, Shem is has that part dialed in, so we learned oh, yeah. a lot through that process. Got to kind of lift the veil, learn, you know, walk away from that with a with a really uh, oh, yeah. better understanding of the whole thing. If anybody wants to uh, learn more about Shem, we literally just interviewed him in our last our last uh, podcast, which is crazy how <laughs> coincidental this is because these are completely unrelated. Your interview and his interview, but back to back just like that is is pretty wild, but. I hear what you're saying. I think that, you know, sometimes people think that they need to hit a home run right on their first game and and you don't, you know, I'm always a big fan of, you know, go a little bit smaller and not smaller is maybe not the right word, more contained, try to contain the risk as much as you can and get the learning, right? Cause there's value in dollars, but man, there's a lot of value in learning, right? And that's a currency. And if you can get more learning and, and, and more experience, that is going to pay off in spades uh, on your next uh, title, the title after that. So right. when you talk a lot about storytelling, it makes me want, like, do you have like a creative writing background or is what, what's the background <laughs> in that regard? Like, um, is there anything in that, or do you just happen upon storytelling? I just, I, I think from the moment that I, I can't remember if I was like nine or 10 years old, but the first time I ever was introduced to, to role-playing games and the very first time I kind of created a character and started visualizing like being someone else not a video game with the constraints of the, of the design, uh, not watching a movie where you're constrained by, you know, you don't get to, you don't get to any choice. You have no agency. Yeah. You're, you're along for the ride. And even in the most um, sandboxy of video games, you, you're still constrained. And in yeah. a, a role-playing game was the very first time there was no constraints. There was nothing that I couldn't do. There was nothing I couldn't visualize and bring into it. And so as someone who had a hard time, reading growing up, uh, as like, you know, I just didn't, nothing, nothing really came easy to me when it came to the education (laughs) where it was like, I try to read a book and it just, my brain would drift. And, and I had a little bit of dyslexia and a little, you know, and, Mm -hmm. but I I could consume a role-playing book, an entire source book, like nothing else. It was like a, a part, one part of it was instructional design, teaching you how to do something. And the other part was, was creative storytelling. And another part was math, but I didn't realize it at the time. So it basically tricked me into, into stepping beyond what I thought were my limitations. Um, and there wasn't a form of media ever after that, that could compare. Uh, the best movie I ever saw could be something that I loved, but I, I still in my mind would be thinking, but what could I do with this if I was playing in it? <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. I got to imagine that you know, it's impact on you when you're younger, right? And in your personal journey of education uh, and self-education, quite frankly, finding something you're passionate about that just clicks, right? And, and, and it helped you, you know, really get into reading and everything you're saying. Is this been an inspiration for you to say, okay, now, because again, you've, you're leaning, you're leaning into that now, right? Into trying to bring, gaming and storytelling to a younger audience and getting them into the hobby. Was this one of the main influences for that? I think having kids was, was a a big influence. Um, uh, Once we had our, our son is eight years old now and our daughter's three and a half. Um, But once he was in the three-year-old range, it was, it was something that I wanted 
um, I wanted to start introducing. And it was, it, I think, um, I, I've always, I, two things I've always wanted to do is I've always wanted to make games that other people would play. And I've always wanted to write children's books, right? So it's kind of like a this combination of both that I get to kind of play in right now. It's a neat space. But uh, what sparked it was our son uh, and wanting to play the games with them, but not just play because we had other games to play. It was also it was also because there were um, social and emotional challenges that that kids face and our kid was facing. And we wanted to be able to come up with a way to communicate a little bit better and talk about things like helping people and emotions and um, and through play, you can access that in kids so much easier than through what we're doing right now. <laughs> you can't sit down and, and interview a child about about this stuff. You, you kind of have to, in a lot of ways, create a space that's that's um, uh, that's encouraging that type of creative discussion. But then you as an adult can sprinkle in the important things, <laughs> you know. And then is there like an interpretation? So as a kid is thinking they're playing a game and storytelling, not necessarily in realizing that, you know, they're injecting their perspectives right into right. what they're, what they're saying and, and listening to that, you can then take from that and yeah, hopefully open up the dialogue with the, with your child. That, that's so cool. Oh yeah. we, we learned a ton because you, yeah. you, you don't know, you don't know what they're thinking unless you really give it the time. And when you start to realize there's this big creative like world behind their, you know, yeah. They're learning their words. They're learning how to control them, like the things, and and so they can. You give them a tool that allows them to to really play in that space, and then you get to do it with them. And then and you also get to start to see things like, oh wow, I didn't think of it that way. Oh, I I just assumed this was the way that thoughts were you know the <laughs> were formed or or that you would understand it this way. But um, no, that and and again with role playing games, there's no boundaries. There's no borders. So. Uh, if they want to be creative and go in a certain direction, it, it's allowed and encouraged cool. yeah. and you never know where you're going to go. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So you guys created this game. Now this is the first uh, self-published game, yeah. uh, Adorblins, which, and let me just start off. I mean, congrats on you guys crushing your target, right? So you're at you. within Canadian dollars is always bigger, but you know, you're almost at $24,000 on a $5,800 goal, 802 backers on um on a small format game which is is even more impressive right so not only you know five figures on a, on your first self-published title is is quite impressive but doing that on a low retail item <laughs> is especially difficult so uh good for you guys on that can you walk us through so adorablins number one the name is amazing <laughs> how did you guys come up with that name uh it, it was it was uh i think it was really, really quick, actually. It was, <laughs> I think I, I uh, our group kind of threw it together in a, in a chat and we were all kind of going back and forth. And the only question was, uh, uh, should it, should there be an A in the middle? Should it be a Doroblins or a Dorblins? And mm. we, we, that, that was, the, so we just sent it out to our close friends in the, in the gaming space and said, say this out loud and tell us what you think is better. <laughs> uh, but we, uh, yeah, Doroblins is, is what we all settled on, but there were no, it was like, really quick that was the name it was like went from working title to title oh yeah it's yeah. uh when you when you hit on a name that just is perfect the natural indication sometimes is for people to move on and say no nah, this you know that was too quick we got to find something else sometimes man you can hit you can hit it right on the nose really quick 
Now, this is a Minton game. I'm showing the screen here. People can see who are watching on either live or on the replay. Uh, it fits in your pocket. Can you just explain quickly what a small format or what a Minton game is for people that might not know? Yeah, so so um, uh, Minton games, we've seen like several Kickstarters and things uh, uh, that, that have gone out. You go to game stores, they're usually sitting by the register or in the counter. They're small, they're compact, usually uh, minimal components, minimal rules, replayability, things like that. Uh, not a lot of storytelling games that, or at all. I, I don't know that there are any. We, we I don't looked know around a lot. Yeah. Um, but uh, when we were creating, so we've, we've had the core system of this game for since our son was just four, turned four. So for several years now, four years now, we've, we've had the mechanics of this system. And uh, uh, we originally, when I was putting it into Game Crafter to get a prototype to play it with our family, we, we called it the family game. That was the working title of this before we got involved mm. with Amber, the artist. Um, but uh, I, I think it was right before they introduced mint tins on the Game Crafter as an okay. option. Yep. And then when they introduced it, my very first thought was we need to bring, we need to bring family game back and we need to put it in a mint tin. <laughs> but uh, cool. when, uh, when Kristen, my partner and I, uh, and Amber first got together about a year ago, talking about Adorablins, about reskinning our game with this, with her art and this idea, this concept. Um, one of the things that came up early, since it was just the three of us, we didn't have a partner at the time. We had no experience on the manufacturing side. Um, we thought, let's make this like a small boutique type thing. How do we do that ourselves? Wouldn't it be cool if this went into mint tin? Ah, we can't, we can't, we don't have the ability to do that. We, we don't want to make something we can't actually deliver, yeah. um, uh, fall on our face. And so uh, we kind of shelved that idea. Um, but it wasn't until we partnered with Letterman Games and came back up into the conversation where Dan at Letterman Games and us, we were all talking and, and he said, uh, God, really cool. I mean, the, the cool thing about this is that it fits in your pocket. And that we all got back into the mint tin concept and he's like, it's doable. We can, that's no problem at all. Let's, let's make it a mint tin. <laughs> so we all got really excited about that. So now we have, this is the prototype from the game crafter and just a mint tin, but everything fits in it. Now I noticed also you have um, on, uh, on your Kickstarter page, people can buy the digital version or they can buy the, the full version right. um, for people even buying like, the digital version, even if you don't use something like GameCrafter to print it yourself and you want to print it at home, you can get these tins on Amazon. Crazy cheap, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, if somebody wants to, you know, do the print and play, put it in a mint tin, do that, get the print and play version and then just order your tins off of Amazon, you know, a couple bucks and you, you put in your own tin and you still have your portable version, which is, which is really crazy. Um, can you walk us through, so how does this story-based RPG work. Now I know this is based on like, I read somewhere like an apocalypse system or something like that was called or. Yeah. What's that? Um, so powered by the apocalypse, apocalypse world is a, is a game that came out, uh, you know, over a decade ago. Uh, I think it, uh, it basically it, it's, it's, it changed the scene of, of indie role-playing where mm. it was a minimalist rule system that really put narration up front and, and asked the question like uh, of, you know, of, of the players, like, like, how do you want to overcome something and not tell you exactly what your options are you can sort of just say say it say what you're going to do and then roll dice after that to to see how it goes um minimalist rules but the the and, and using only two six-sided dice so as much as i love all the different 
polyhedrals and different <laughs> different shapes and stuff. This only uses two six-sided dice. Um, but it's been used since then um, because the creators were so uh, uh, just generous to the world uh, and, and put the rule system out there for anyone to use. Um, it's been used in some really, really big games. Um, and uh, the most recent one was the Avatar, The Last Airbender, uh, or oh, wow. Avatar Legends, I think. It was the biggest Kickstarter for a role-playing game that I've ever seen. And it was, it was enormous. And um, now a lot of people are going to be very familiar with that rule set. Uh, so for people like myself yeah. that aren't familiar with it. Yeah. <laughs> so how does it work? Is it, is it similar to, like you would say, here's the situation. How do you, how do you want to overcome it? You yeah. come up with a scenario and then what you're rolling the dice to see, was that effective or, or not? Is that yes. kind of the gist of it or? Yeah. So the, the, the basic cool. concept is this is, is um, the narrator, the person who's taking on the role, typically known as a, a game master, game moderator, yeah. or a dun dungeon master in D and D. Um, but the narrator in, in Adorablins will, uh, uh, has a series of cards and they'll, they'll use those cards to sort of set the scene. Uh, and once the game begins, there's no telling where it's going to go. It's very player driven. Mm -hmm. um, they'll introduce, the narrator will introduce challenges and the players playing as their adorable and characters will try to overcome those challenges. And you describe things like um, using just, just, just like a conversation. So you, the narrator would say something like uh, you see what you're looking for um, that, you know, you, the goal, the thing you're trying to get in this place, you see it up on a shelf, but it's a really high shelf. And what do you do? And the player usually, like if we're playing with our kids, they'll they'll say, "I want to jump from shelf to shelf to shelf to shelf and do some cartwheels and backflips." All right. Well, what skill do you think would be the most appropriate for that type of an action? And they'll pick one of their four skills: smarts, speed, strength, and uh, uh, senses. So they'll say speed. I think speed is good. But another kid might say, I think this is smarts because I, I learned about this and I press. So you let them have sort of free reign. They're yeah. going to roll two dice add the total to whatever skill they chose. And then there's a range of outcomes. And once the outcome is determined, you narrate it. And you say to the player, how did that go? What happened? Why did it go wrong? Or uh, that went really well, describe it. Or uh, so the way that PBTA, Powered by the Apocalypse System works is if you roll a 10 or higher. So if the number, the total you get is 10 or higher, it's a success. It works. You What you wanted happens. Now describe what it, what it looks like. On a seven to nine in our system, it's um, it's we call it uh, that you're you're struggling. So um, you're you're not quite there, but you're not failing. And then we say, how do you want to turn this into a success? And you have some resources. You could use a snack to uh, use one of your abilities or items to say, and then you narrate it how that works. Or you have a companion card, and if you have a companion with you, you could say. I want to use my companion card and then you flip it over. You describe how the companion helped you. You get to make it up. And then your companion card has these sleeping, this little sleeping symbol on the back of it. Mm -hmm. So once, once the companion helps you, they need to rest for a little bit. It so over, it's a right? resource. It's a yeah. resource that you, you know, you can use to turn struggles into successes, but if you get a six or less, it doesn't work. You get stuck. And if it gets, if you get stuck, you get to describe what went wrong. And the narrator gets to make a move, which kind of changes the story to be a little bit more interesting. So it could be introducing a challenge or something funny. Um, but the player also gets to find another snack. And a snack token is the resource to be able to get. So it's like a fail forward mechanic where next time it'll be a little easier because you have a resource to use. Um, that is the gist of the game right there. I mean, that's that's how it's played. And um, if, uh, if you're telling a story together and you're all taking turns, uh, 
within 10 minutes you're you're it in everyone's mind it's almost like a tv episode or a tv series yeah. or something we, we played a game just recently where the person that was hosting the actual play compared it to a saturday morning cartoon and that's very much what it's like i wish this was around when my kids were younger this i mean this is this is awesome. And I think from a couple of different angles, one is getting kids talking is one of the toughest things to do, right? Um, you know, getting them to describe their uh, imagine, you know, imagine, and then just, and be descriptive in that. I can see that, you know, the benefits of something like that and, and getting in the kids in the habit of playing games like this and storytelling and keep, it helps with communication. It can help them with, uh, you know, social interactions with others, um, I can see being a parent, how you guys got to this game, um, using, uh, you know, this, this mechanic, is there a winning condition or is it just, we're going to go through the story and at the end of the story, we're going to kind of see where we're like, how does it finish? There's, there's no, uh, victory condition. However, okay. we do have, um, because storytelling is not, it, it's going to be new to a lot of people. We, uh, we're, yeah. we're blown away by the support on the campaign and we oh, know yeah. that not everybody in there has played role-playing games before. So we want to make sure that there's some resources. We have a very small booklet that teaches you the game and then some resources while you're playing it. So you don't have to consult the booklet again while you're playing to keep the story going. Um, but in the booklet, there are a couple small areas where it kind of tells you like, how, how do you close a story? It's, it's not, it, you know, it's not na uh, natural to everybody. It doesn't come naturally. So we have tools that kind of help you with that, but it's basically, um, it, especially with kids, it has to do with how much time you have. If you only have 20 minutes before dinner is ready and you want to play a quick game, you know that you have to do, you have to achieve your goal by the time the, the, <laughs> the dinner timer goes off. <laughs> so that's your, that's your victory condition is can you, can you complete the game in that amount of time? Can you finish before yeah. it's time to eat? Yeah. But oh the story of the game is simple. It's it's uh, think of like Smurfs or Care Bears or the old cartoons that we, we grew up on. Um, the those uh, uh, some the adorablins are the characters you play as these magical portals open up in your world and something from your world slips through. When that happens, you have to jump through as heroes, save it and bring it back and it can open up in anywhere. So you get to decide when you're playing, where, do you, where did it open? Did it open in the busy streets in New York City, uh, Starbucks? Did it open in a magical world? Did it open underwater? Um, wherever, it, wherever it opens, your goal is to find the thing and bring it back. So it, it makes it very easy for the narrator to kind of keep track of the game and be like, we just need to, you know, if the timer goes off, you say, okay, who wants to make the last roll to see if we can get the thing and get through the portal before, before it closes? You know, like it, it gives you a little bit of a, a, a structure to the game. And how have you, so, I mean, congrats uh, to the artist on this. Cause I mean, the artwork is. Oh, awesome Amber Seeger well. oh, at Rocket Orca. She's amazing. Fantastic. The game is adorable. How, how have you built the community out around this or what efforts do you have to build a community out around this? Cause I can imagine these characters are things that people may, you know, even go beyond the game. Right. And, in, 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 you know, in their social interactions and so forth. Like, have you, have you started building out any kind of community around that or. We're talking a lot about that. Um, we, we're blown yeah. away by the support we, and, and by the reception. A lot, a lot of people seem to want something like this. I'm sure it has a lot to do with the fact that parents are trying to limit the screen time in their houses and yeah. um, have, have been doing everything they can to think outside the box to come up with solutions. And we're giving them a box that they can think inside of, <laughs> see if they can help. Uh, but uh, I think um, I think there's going to be, we're excited about the possibility of, of more, uh, uh, you know, 
thing, things like you said, like a community, things, uh, places people can share things, Instagram where people could post pictures of, of their kids' stuff. Um, we have some cool stuff hopefully planned for the Kickstarter um, that we might be introducing um, as either a stretch goal or something else uh, that will also be, be part of that, um, something that kids can do or, or even adults can do and then share online. No, and you still got 14 days to go. So I, mean, I know plenty of runway there, man. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. And with the yeah. back end hockey stick in the last 72 hours, I mean, you guys are going to be, I know you're already very happy with where you've landed, but I'm sure you're going to be even more happy where this thing lands. Yeah. What, what's next? Like, cause you're like a, almost like a serial uh, game creator, right? Uh, you're your partner in yourself. What, what uh, do you have something else you guys are working on or what comes after this? Like, is it rest time or is it, you know what, we've got just a laundry list of games. And now that we've got, you know, we've kind of taken the bite and we got the itch, we're going to get another one going right away. Like what's next. Well, we, when we originally, we partnered with, with Letterman games with Dan at Letterman games um, on this, because we really wanted to make sure that we did it right. We wanted to make sure that we could get the best product and and really achieve the dates and the the quality that we wanted. Um, there, Dan, Dan's fantastic and he knows what he's doing. We um, we've been in talks about other types of partnerships that we'll do, other games that we can do collaboratively because they're in the board game space. Uh, I worked on Questlings. I was co-designer with Banana Chan on Questlings, oh, cool. which is another storytelling game that Letterman Games published. Um, there could be more of those, you know, more more opportunity there as well as more adorablins. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, my partner and I, we're, we're both, like you said, we're creative people. We like doing things. We've both we we write for other people's games. We write for ourselves. Um, Kristen's working on uh, the new game Last Light that's coming. Um, uh, I think I can't remember exactly when it's coming to Kickstarter, but she's do, she's writing all of the, the factions, the alien species back, oh, wow. backstory and stuff uh, for and there's a ton of them. Uh, it's a really cool game. So, yeah, we, we have a lot going on independently. And then now we have this this potential to to do more with Letterman Games and, and bring more games uh, to, to families. Well, Tim, I want to wish you all the best on this campaign. Uh, I, I'm excited for you guys. This looks like a lot of fun. I've actually really appreciated just your time, just learning about uh, this role-playing style. And I can definitely see how this can fit uh, in the lives of people who like just to have fun and socialize, but especially with a younger audience and, and just bridging those communications. Uh, oh man, good for you guys. I think this is awesome. I want to wish you all the best of the campaign and you take care in 2022. Thanks. Thanks a lot for having me. Cheers. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge Podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time. Oh,